As we have entered into this new year, I wanted to deal with some of the basic issues of the Christian life. So last week we looked at prayer. Beginning next week, we're going to start a study through the book of James. And today I want to speak to you on the subject of faith. Now we all understand that faith is not the same as fact. Now, let me illustrate what I mean by that. It is a fact that I am standing before you speaking this morning. It is a fact that you are seated in those pews before me. But it is only faith to believe that you might actually listen to what I'm saying. So I want to speak to you on the subject of faith, and by definition, it is a theological issue. The dictionary defines faith as a firm belief in something for which there is no proof. And I think that's the understanding most people have of faith. I really don't like that definition because to me it seems to be a little fuzzy, it seems to be a little weak, and I really don't particularly like the dictionary's definition. The Bible describes faith as being substance. Faith is substance. Sub, something beneath us, stance on which we can stand, So faith, then, is something that is strong. It is something on which we can stand. It is tough. It is something on which we can build a life. So today I want us to look at four men from Scripture, from Hebrews chapter 11, who lived lives of faith. Take your Bibles, turn with me, please, to Hebrews 11, beginning in verse number 1. Now, faith is the assurance or substance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, faith, the men of old gained approval. By faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the Word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. By faith Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous, God testifying about his gifts and through faith, though he is dead, he still speaks. By faith Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God took him up. For he obtained the witness that before his being taken up, he was pleasing to God. And without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God about things not yet seen in reverence, prepared an ark for the salvation of his household, by which he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness, which is according to faith. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise, for he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Faith is powerful. It determines so much of one's life. First of all, faith determines one's walk, and we see that concerning Enoch. If you'll notice there in verse number 5, by faith Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death and he was not found because God took him up. For he obtained the witness that before his being taken up, he was pleasing to God. So the Bible says then that Enoch did not die, that God took him. 
And it is referencing here Genesis chapter 5, verse number 24. And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Enoch walked with God. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean to walk with someone? Well, first of all, to walk with someone suggests fellowship. If I walk with someone, I fellowship with that person. Linda and I walk my dog text almost every morning in our neighborhood. It's a time of fellowship for us. Now, while we are out there, we come across Bob and Ann who are walking their dog. In fact, their little dog always barks and tries to bite. And so I named him Deacon, but that's not really his name. That's just what I call him when I see him. And then sometimes we see Phil. He's out walking his dog. Actually, his dog doesn't walk. He carries his dog around. It's a little bitty dog. But it's a time of fellowship. So we are out there and we are fellowshipping as we are walking. But that's a part of what it means to walk with someone. So when the Scripture says that we walk with God, it means to fellowship with God. And that's what Micah the prophet said in chapter 6, verse number 8. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? So to walk then with someone suggests fellowship, that I am fellowshipping with this person. To walk with God suggests fellowship, that I am fellowshipping with God. It also suggests relationship. The Scripture says in Amos chapter 3, verse number 3, do two men walk together unless they have made an appointment or are in agreement? In other words, we don't walk with someone with whom we are not in agreement. So the Bible says that to walk with God suggests fellowship with God, that I fellowship with God, and also I have a relationship with Him. Now, what was the motivation? Enoch walked with God. What was the motivation for walking with God? Well, in his case, it was family. The Bible says in Genesis 5:22, Then Enoch walked with God 300 years after he became the father of Methuselah, and he had other sons and daughters. What motivated him to walk with God? He had children. And all of a sudden, the things of God became important to him. Many of us can identify with that, can we not? That when children came into our lives, we became very concerned about our walk. Now, I remember when Stephanie was a little girl, I had gone out into the yard where we lived. It had snowed, and so I was walking somewhere through the yard. I, I don't remember why I was there, but I do remember this. I looked around, and Stephanie was behind me. And she was stretching out with her little legs, trying to walk in my footsteps. And I remember thinking at that time that if she is going to follow in my footsteps, then my footsteps need to be leading to God. You see, with Enoch, he walked with God because of family, because he had children. It is faith that causes us to walk with God, a faith that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. So faith is important, ladies and gentlemen, because it determines our walk. If I really believe that God is God, if I really believe what He says is important, if I really believe there is a destination in eternity, then it is important that I walk with God in faith. Faith is important. It determines one's walk. Secondly, faith determines one's work, and we see that with Noah in verse number 7 of our text. 
By faith, Noah, being warned by God about things not yet seen, in reverence prepared an ark for the salvation of his household, by which he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. Now, the Bible says that he prepared an ark. You see, faith is not passive. Faith is active. And when I look at Noah, I see that God gave him an instruction. In Genesis chapter 6, the Bible says, Then God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence because of them, and behold, I am about to destroy them with the earth. Make for yourself an ark of gopher wood. Now, that was the instruction of the Lord. Noah, I'm going to destroy the earth, so you need to make an ark. Now, Noah did not just passively say, well, God, I understand that. I agree with that. We, we probably need it. The Bible says he did what? Now, that was a question. What did, what did he do? He prepared an ark. The point that I want you to see is that he believed in God, but he acted on what he believed. He had faith in God, but his faith was active. Folks, the Bible teaches us that faith is active if it's real. James chapter 2, verse number 20, But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? It is works that completes our faith. In other words, I can say that I believe something, but if there is not a corresponding action... The Bible says that faith is dead, that faith is useless. Faith in the Bible is always active. So it's active. Faith perseveres. I believe that real faith, scriptural faith, perseveres during times of difficulty and doubt. Now, understand concerning Noah that from the time God gave him the instruction to build an ark up until the flood came was a period of 120 years. Now, do you think there might have been days when Noah doubted? I think he probably did. Did I get that right? Lord, I thought you said you were, you were going to send a flood, that you were going to destroy the earth. It's not raining. I don't see anything. There must have been times when he doubted, but he persevered. His faith persevered for 120 years. The Apostle Paul was committed to Christ. And he persevered in his faith, even to the point of death. And I have seen people, and every Sunday when I look out over the congregation, I see those whose faith has persevered during difficult times. Some of you have lost your spouse, but you're faithful to the Lord. Some of you have lost your children. Some of you, your parents. Some of you have disease that you're fighting, illness that you're fighting, and yet you persevere in your faith. That's real faith. That is biblical faith. Real faith perseveres, and that is blessed. It says in verse number 7 that he became an heir of righteousness. You know, I've read so many times the story of Job, and, and Job lost everything. What a tragedy his life was when he lost his children, he lost his possessions, lost his health, he lost his friends, lost everything. 
And yet the Bible says that God blessed him more at the end than at the beginning. His faith was blessed. Ladies and gentlemen, God will bless you. Persevere. Persevere in faith. I know there are times when it's hard. I know there are times when it's difficult. But real faith perseveres. Thirdly, faith determines one's witness. And we see that in Abraham. Verse number 8. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. Now, witnesses are not perfect. I, I know sometimes whenever we talk about witnessing, when we talk about speaking about Jesus, there are those who immediately exempt themselves by saying, well, I couldn't do that because I'm not perfect. Witnesses are not perfect. Abraham was a witness of God, but he was not perfect. As a matter of fact, he was disobedient to the Lord. The Bible tells us in Genesis 12:1. Now, the Lord said to Abram, go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. Leave your country and relatives behind. Now, that is when God is calling Abraham to the promised land. He says, Abraham, I want you to leave everything. I want you to leave your home. I want you to leave your relatives. I want you to leave your friends. I want you to leave everything and come follow me. Now, what did Abraham do? The Scripture says in Genesis 12:4. So Abram went forth as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. He took his nephew. Well, you say, well, that's not a big deal. It wouldn't be a big deal except for one thing. God told him to leave his family. And you know what happened whenever they get uh, started towards the promised land? The herdsmen of Lot and the herdsmen of Abraham were in conflict as a result of it. So he was disobedient to the Lord. And some of you would say, well, you know, I couldn't be a witness because I've been disobedient to the Lord. The Lord has told me to do things, called me to do things. I know some things in Scripture that I'm not doing. I've been disobedient to the Lord. But my friend, that does not exempt you from being a witness. You see, witnesses are not perfect. Abraham was disobedient. He was independent. When the famine came, rather than Abraham look to God, the Bible says he made an alliance with Egypt. He didn't need God. He needed Egypt. And so he was, de he was de independent from God. Some of you are that way. You've acted independently of God, trying to live your own life. But that does not exempt you from being a witness. Abraham was even dishonest. When Abraham came to um, Egypt, he was concerned that Pharaoh would see his wife, Sarah, who apparently was a beautiful woman, and want her for himself and kill Abraham as a result. And so Abraham said to Sarah, if that happens, tell him you're my sister. You know who did that later on? His son Isaac. I wonder where he learned that. So he was dishonest. You might say, well, I can't be a witness for God because there has been some dishonesty in my life, but that does not exempt you. Folks, what I'm saying to you is that a witness is not perfect, but a witness is faithful. A witness is faithful. I remember the old preachers used to say, God can hit a straight lick with a crooked stick. Well, that's about all he's got to work with, isn't it? 
I mean, if he's looking for someone perfect to be his witness, then he's not going to have any witnesses because none of us is perfect. Abraham was not perfect, but he was a faithful witness. And, friend, it is important by faith that you be a witness of Jesus Christ, that you speak of Jesus Christ in the arena God has entrusted to you. Faith is important because it determines one's witness. If you really and truly believe that Jesus Christ is the Savior, that He is the only way of salvation, that there is eternity looming, then it's important that you be a witness of Christ. Fourthly, faith determines one's will, and we see that in Abel in verse number 4. By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous. God testifying about his gifts, and through faith, though he is dead, he still speaks. Now, this has become very exciting to me, this part of this passage of Scripture, because it deals with how we can continue to speak, how we can continue to have influence after we are dead. Now, the reason that is important to me is that I'm going to be dead longer than I'm alive. And so I'm interested. How can I continue to have influence after I'm dead? Are you interested in that? After I'm dead, after my life is ended, how can I continue to have influence? Now, I'm, I'm going to get into that at this point. For several years, I have been burdened, I have been convicted about scriptural finance. I don't think in the church that we have been inaccurate. I think we have just been incomplete. And so I'm going to talk to you about that for a minute. Now, I want you to rest. I, I, I don't want you to get uptight. I'm not, going to, I'm not going to take up an offering today. We're not going to sign any pledge cards. It's not anything like that. I'm, talk, I'm talking about after you're dead. Okay? So if you're still alive, don't worry this morning. Now, I just sit back and listen because I want you to consider... Uh, what this passage of Scripture says. I have reached two conclusions. First of all, I believe in holistic stewardship because I believe in holistic Christianity. You say, well, what do you mean by that? Let me give you some examples as to my belief and what I'm saying. The Bible says that we are to set one day a week aside for worship, Sunday for us. Correct? Does that mean that God is not interested in the other six? No, He's interested in the other six. He's interested in what you do on Tuesday. He's, he's interested in what you do on Friday. He's interested in what you young people do on Saturday night. He's interested. So that is a holistic approach. God is not just interested in Sunday. Sometimes we think that, or at least we live like we think that. I can do what I want to these six days as long as I come to church and look nice on Sunday. So I, I don't believe that. Let me, let me give you another example. We emphasize in the church the spirit of man. Does that mean then that God is not interested in my mind and body? No. He tells me to present my body a living sacrifice. He tells me that I worship, that I love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, and mind. So I believe that God is interested in the totality of man. All right, now when it comes to finances, I believe that God is also interested in all of it. Now see, in the church we emphasize what? When we're emphasizing stewardship, what do we emphasize? The tithe. 
Does that mean that God is not interested in the rest of it? That He's not interested in what you keep? See, I think He's interested in all of it. I think He's interested in what you give and what you keep. Now, that was the reason we started uh, Total uh, Financial Stewardship. Because it deals with what you give and also what you keep. And so what we want to do is to be involved in helping you be a better steward, to do better with the money that you keep as well. Now, as I thought that through, I thought, all right, if God is interested in all of it, if he's interested in, in what I give to him and also interested in what I keep, does that mean he is also interested in what I leave behind when I die? And I think he is. I think he is. So that brought me then to the consideration of endowments. How we can keep on influencing with endowments. And uh, some, some months ago, I, I came to the church and, and suggested that we establish two new endowments. One for the media. And I said, I would like for us to have an endowment of $2 million for media. God has blessed the media ministry in our church. But see, if we had an endowment of $2 million for media and we only use the earnings off that, that gives us $100,000 a year that we can put in media. The second endowment that I proposed was a facility maintenance endowment. Uh, God's blessed us with wonderful facilities here, but the truth of the matter is we can't maintain them through the budget. I tell Richard Alton, we need new carpet in here. He said, all right, where's the money? I said, just pretend I'm a politician. We just need, need some carpet. I don't know where the money's coming from. But if we had a million-dollar endowment for facility maintenance, that means that would give us $50,000 a year we could put in, in the building. Now, we already have several endowments, and you have something in your bulletin about that, and they provide benevolence to our people in need. We have an endowment for that. We have an endowment that helps our students go to seminary. We have an endowment that is for our student ministry. We have an endowment for flowers. We have, a, we have several endowments already. There can be endowments that memorialize someone, that remember someone, there are endowments of ministry. Maybe some, someone is interested in a particular ministry. There is an endowment established for them. And so that ministry is funded through that endowment, allowing that person to speak even from the grave. I think that an endowment, as I thought it through, and I want you to do the same thing, is why it's stewardship. You see, an endowment allows us to store up God's blessings in times of plenty so that we have in times of need. Isn't that what Joseph did? Joseph stored up in times of plenty so that Egypt would have when the famine came. Endowments can be designated as a memorial. They can be designated as a ministry. So an endowment, I think, is important because it allows us to designate something of which we are interested Endowment gives in perpetuity since the corpus is not spent. And that's one of the things that's exciting to me, to think that I can give an endowment, set aside money after I'm dead, and it stays there and only the earnings are used. And so it's the gift that keeps on giving. It is, the, it is a way to continue ministry. They're specific and they're also future-oriented because uh, it happens after we're dead. I read about a church that struck oil on their property. 
And so after they struck oil, they had a church conference and, um, and uh, passed three resolutions. Number one, they'd pump all the oil they could. Number two, they would equally distribute the earnings to the members. And number three, they wouldn't receive any new members. Well, an endowment is future-oriented. It's looking to the future. It looks beyond ourselves. This is a way for the senior generation to fund the ministry and the work of the Lord and to pass the wealth on to that future ministry. Now, Harold Weaver and I were talking recently, and, and he said, you know, sometimes people ask me the question, why do you think God has spared America? Because we are not a bastion of, of, uh, of Christianity. We like to think of ourselves as a Christian nation. We are not. And because we've been given the opportunities we have been given, sometimes people say, well, why has God not judged America? And Harold had an interesting point, I thought. He said it might be because we have the financial means of taking the gospel into the world. Maybe we are the ones who finance the gospel. We're not great witnesses, but maybe we are the ones who finance the gospel. Do you understand that endowments is a way that we can fund missions and ministry into the future? As a matter of fact, I was thinking before I came in here a while ago about how powerful the concept is. Now, we average about 50 deaths a year in our church. Now, let's say that everyone left $10,000. That's $500,000 a year. And the earnings off of that would be $25,000 that could be used, let's say, for missions. It could be used for missions. And the next year, fifty and 500000 a million, now $100,000. Can you imagine how much of it? So I, when I, I get real excited whenever I begin to think about it because I see it as a way that we can finance missions and ministry even after we're dead. And our will leaves a testimony. You'll look there in verse number 4. By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous. God testifying about his gifts, and through faith, though he is dead, he still speaks. Abel left a testimony when he died. You and I also will leave a testimony when we die. Folks, here's the thing with me, at least in my thinking, and that's what I'm sharing with you is my thinking from Scripture today. I've lived most of my life preaching the gospel of Christ, focused on the things of God. When I die, I want my legacy to continue that. If I live my life committed to God, when I'm dead, I want that to continue. Faith is important because it determines our work, our walk, our witness, and our will. Chuck Swindoll told a story about Ray Steadman, who had gone to preach a revival in a church. Well, when he got there, he arrived, but his luggage didn't. And uh, so he was going to have to preach that night. He went down to a, to a Goodwill store to see if they might have some clothing there. And the guy at the Goodwill said to him, he said, Now, I have a rack of suits over here. And so he went over and looked at him. He said, There's one thing you need to be aware of. He said, Well, what is that? He said, Well, they came from the morgue. He said, I don't know if that's a problem for you or not. He said, it's no problem for me. So he looked at the suits, and they looked pretty good, and he bought two of them for $25 apiece. When he went to preach that night, he said that he started to put his hand in his pocket, but there were no pockets, just flaps. And he said, and I thought, well, of course, dead people don't take stuff with them. 
<laughs> they don't. We don't need pockets when we leave. What we can do, however, is to leave what we have to the things of God, to the work of God, and can make a difference. Enoch, in faith, walked with God. Noah, in faith, did the work of God. Abraham, in faith, was a witness of God. And Abel, in faith, left a legacy. And though he is dead, yet he speaks. That's what I want to do. Even after I'm dead, I still want my life to count for Jesus Christ. Our Father, thank you for the opportunities that you give us to be witnesses of you. And Father, for the opportunity we have, even after we are dead, to still have influence. Lord, today I come to pray as we go into the invitation for those who have never come to know Christ as Savior. That this might be the day that they trust Him. I pray, Father, for others who need to make decisions that they might do so today. In Jesus' name, amen.